Blog Talk Radio. Psilocybin.
This one is going to be a barn burner, in my personal opinion. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. This is Coach K Radio, and you are now rocking with the best. Tonight we're going to be answering a question that's probably on a lot of people's hearts. Did God arrive on a comet? Now, it took me a long time to come up with a title for tonight's show, because I had never heard of the Younger Dryas until Baba Kalindi, our special guest on these episodes, kept dropping little nuggets. And he at one point stated that everything after the Younger Dryas was modern history and before was ancient history, and then he just left me hanging like that. And I was like, I need to know more about the Younger Dryas so I said, well, obviously, I found out a lot of information about the mushrooms and psilocybin and DMT and 5-5-5-0-5-DMT, the toad and all that. But I couldn't find anything Kalindi has said about the Younger Dryers. So I was getting information kind of like from sources who I my, – my ear wasn't really, like, tuned in, but I wanted to hear it from somebody um, who I know personally, who I respect as – a scholar, as a researcher, and I was like, well, I'm excited. So I had just some real fun with this one, and normally I have my man Firewater to come on here, but tonight I got Brother Amsu is in the building. Y'all put y'all hands together for my Brother Amsu. He's going to come in here and uh, open up and help me out a little bit tonight as we get this thing together. Y'all can do better than that. Y'all can do better than that. That's much better, much better, much better. 
for the home How you doing this evening? Hey, thank you. Very good, Coach. How are you today, good brother? Glad hey, man, I'm blessed by the best. Sex too sexy to be stressed and excited right now. Excited. I know that's right, man, because it seems like this is going to be a, a night of nights to go into the younger dryest, go deeper into the, you know, the basic, the basic creation stories that we've, you know, been passed down over time, you know, and 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 you know, move beyond the, the you know, find out where where many of these religions started, you know. Uh, mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and uh, for me, it's like, why why are we not doing like deeper research? Why do you think that the younger dryers is such uh, an obscure subject? You know, things things you know get revealed as you know the more digging that happens, the more research that's done, and as you know, humans take the next step to discover the multiverse, to discover the things that we don't know, man. It's like, hey, the revelation starts to happen. And um, it's good because, you know, it's time for us to to step into our to our greatest uh, possibility. Right. As yeah, little, so. little Duvall said, start, start living our best life. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right, you know. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, Fantastic. I definitely, I can't wait, and I can't wait to see also how Baba Kalinde incorporates this into, you know, the series that we've already been doing with the psilocybin, and how this can all help us as explorers push the envelope. So, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and get this thing started. The gods arrive right. on a comet. The younger Dryer story <laughs> with guest Kalinde Ee. Nine one seven eight eight nine thirty eight zero three is the call-in number. And there is no doubt that the present-day living conditions of the world are deeply rooted in history. There also is no doubt that the limiting the amount of correct information concerning historical phenomenon is a very old way of mind control. All of our religions, beliefs, cultures, and patterns come directly from what we perceive as, quote-unquote, the truth about the past. Well, tonight, international scholar and master teacher Kalinda Ee of the Tamarian Institute joins Coach Kyer to answer the questions, did the gods arrive on a comet? The Younger Dryer story. We're going to go dip back into the Ice Age and possibly before and see where these gods came from and what was preceding them. Tonight's going to be a serious history lesson built for the scholars. As usual, this will be an envelope-pushing conversation, and there's going to be tons of extras. Pen and paper is a must. Feel free not to only call in and listen, but to press 1 at any time if you have a question or comment. Also, don't forget to bring or invite a friend and share this on your social media timeline. Don't hide it, divide it. We all we got. Please put your hands together right now as we bring on Baba Kalinde. Bobby Columbia, thank you for coming on tonight. How are you feeling today? today? I'm feeling well. How's everybody doing? We're doing fine. Just like I said, just real excited Thanks about this one right here. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start out with a with a quote from uh, Arthur C. Clarke, who uh, he's the one who wrote uh, 2001: Space Odyssey. Uh, along with Stanley Kubrick, 
dealing with that um, uh, famous uh, space movie, you know, uh, Hell Open the Door type thing. The any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Our ancestors mm-hmm. utilized technology as magic, and if you uh, remember Thor 2 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor was talking to Jane Foster, and he said, you know, that what you all call science on my planet or my dimension, Asgard, is magic. So we're going to talk a little bit about the old magic this evening and the upper Paleolithic, which is, uh, uh, we'll be talking about, you know, the last ice age, the last glacial maximum, which was around 23,000 BCE, which ushered in a global warming process that brought in the Younger Dryas through uh, several cataclysms, and we'll be talking about those things. So when people are talking about the Americas, because basically the Americas were uh, of the continent that was most greatly affected because this is where we had impacts. And for years, geologists had a gradual model of how climate changed and things happened because they couldn't find a impact crater for several meteors or asteroids or comets, whichever ones they were. They don't specify which one it was, but they just say an extraterrestrial event. They have found since then uh, an impact crater in Greenland, but it's in the ocean, Um, and it's a sizable impact. So we're going to go into the Younger Dryas. We're going to go into ancient Americas and how that affected the rest of the world and climate, uh, how this uh, basically works into the scenario of mushrooms and how we deal and dealt with transdimensional beings coming into this three-dimensional five-sense reality and how they liaison with the ancient people and transferred technology, because what we're looking at is a transference of technology when we're talking about the megalithic structures of those uh, times before the Younger Dryas, when we're talking about Baldeck and we're talking about uh, Gobekli Tepe, and we're talking about the Great Pyramids and the Sphinx on the Giza Plateau, and when we're talking about different megalithic structures around the world that go back many thousands and thousands of years. Some are copies or some are reconstructions of more ancient works on more ancient sites that were rebuilt by newer people who came and saw the ruins and they did their best to reproduce it. Um, That's why even in uh, Kemet or Egypt, you'll see how the best work was done early and later on the work became kind of shoddy because 
it wasn't the same folks doing it. <laughs> so we'll move right into we'll move right into it. We're going to be talking about um, ancient records of what the people themselves said about the longevity of the lives of those people whom the primitive people of those times call the gods. Uh, and we'll talk about giants. We'll talk about um, intraterrestrial habitation. In other words, people who lived under the earth. Now, I'm not going into the hollow earth theory about the whole earth being a, a hollow sphere and nothing on the inside. That would go against geology. It would go against uh physics and all of the things that we have uh, information on that tell us how the planet is constructed. But we will go into ancient cave systems of which people uh, at the time of the Younger Dryas or just before the Younger Dryas were carved out in many places around the world to help with the survival of people. Um, you know, because that's what actually helped the human beings on Earth survive over a period of time. Because after what we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes, the Younger Dryas, um, a lot of the Earth was really uninhabitable. Other places were, um, if you were inhabiting these places that you could get by with, it was very inhospitable and very dangerous and uh, these type of things. So let's get into actually what was happening around these times. Now, we're talking about a very specific timeline of which has been uh, meted out by uh, geological science. Uh, they have ice core samples, uh, soil samples, these type of things that can pinpoint the date of what we're talking about. What we're actually talking about is a impact that happened. Uh, the first one uh, happened 12,800 years ago. And meteors, asteroids, comets, I'm going to just say comets. So now comets, ice, asteroids, are metal, steel, iron, Iron, steel, iron. Uh, but I'm going to just say comets. But it may not necessarily have been a comet. It could have been an asteroid. It could have been a meteor or a combination of those different type of extraterrestrial torrid meteor stream. Now, the torrid meteor stream, they call it the torrid meteor stream because it comes out of the constellation uh, or the direction of the constellation of Taurus, the bull. And what happened was millions of years ago, a comet, it was about 100 miles long and wide, broke up and left millions of pieces of itself floating around in this stream of, of meteors or comets that is called the Torrid Meteor Stream. And the Earth passes through the Torrid Meteor Stream twice a year in June and in late October, early November. And it takes 12 days to pass through the torrent media stream. And we do that twice a year. 
So uh, just the, the uh, I'm not going to say the luck of physics because um, these things are planned out mathematically through different algorithms in supercomputers. And we'll talk about that a little way. That's what stops, the, that's what put the planets in the exact positions. That's what stops us from just getting totally destroyed by one of these things uh, because we moved through it twice, twice, uh, twice a year. We had a, uh, a meteor explosion that happened in the atmosphere in Cuba uh, about a month ago. And it, you know, destroyed with a small, with a small, so it destroyed windows and hurt some people and, did some things like that, but it was a very small one. Another one, a little bit larger than that, in 1908 in Kangusta in uh, Russia, it exploded as an airburst, and it flattened 80 million trees. It was lucky that it wasn't over a populated area, but this airburst of a media about the size of a yellow school bus exploding in the atmosphere did this type of damage. So we're talking about comets that were much, much larger than those small things that we've encountered in, you know, the last hundred years or so. So what happens is, is that they believe four shards coming out of the Torrid Media Zone over the top of Canada, moving from uh, in a northeasterly direction came and hit the Laurentide ice sheet, the Laurentide ice sheet was remnants of the last ice age over Michigan, Ohio, New York, Minnesota, uh, Illinois, Indiana, all of these different places was covered by an ice sheet and the ice was two miles thick. So if you stand on the ground outside and just look up and two miles up, was nothing but ice. It's kind of like the Antarctic is now. So you got two miles of ice sitting on the top of Michigan. These four shards came in. One hit in the area of Greenland. Uh, they believe that one was an airburst because they had evidence of that. One hit Ypsilanti, Michigan, in a place called, I mean, excuse me, Saginaw, Michigan, in a place called, I was calling it Slatty Bay, so that's why I said it's Slatty. Saginaw, Saginaw Bay. And that's right at the indentation of the thumb in Michigan, and also Lake Erie. And at the speed these things were traveling, between 70,000 and 100,000 miles per hour, when it hit that ice sheet, it not only particleized millions and billions and millions of cubic feet of ice. It also sent big chunks of ice, melt water. Pieces of ice were hit in the Great Lakes in Michigan Lake Erie, and it knocked pieces of ice all the way to North Carolina and South Carolina, creating what is called the Carolina Bays. These are oval indentations today filled with water, and they're all moving in the same direction of a southern, southerly, southeasterly direction because that's the way the ice hit. 
in that direction. What this did was it liberated so much water. You had inland freshwater tsunamis that were 1,000 feet high. So if Mm. you look at one of those disaster movies and you see the waves coming across and things like that, that doesn't approach what these waves were, what these tsunamis were, what these torrential water moving across the country, not only bringing, pulling soil, but also floating icebergs from other parts where that weren't actually hit, but the concussion of this, of these impacts knocked big chunks of icebergs floating on top of the water, moving pieces of rock, some weighing 18,000, 20,000 tons, pulling that across the country, pulling trees and soil and rocks and uh, gigantic pieces of ice coming across the country, disturbing the face of the land and creating havoc everywhere this was going on. Now, that's part of it. The other and last piece of these of this comet exploded in the air, and it set everything on the lower part of the the the, the country, the landmass of North America, Central America, down into South America, on fire. And we have record of this in what's called the black mat layer. Black mat layer is the fallout from the burning of the carbon that was being deposited on that top layer of soil where the whole country is on fire. So if you look at at one of those um, wildfires in California and you see, you know, uh, land on fire and, you know, the guys are out there and the planes come by and the helicopters come by and drop that water and those chemicals put the fire out. They can't put the fire out. Just think of between Canada and Florida on fire, all of what was ancient, all what was uh, down into Mexico and Mexico City and all that, all that's on fire, and the top is flooding, coming across coming across the country in a way that's as tall as the Sears Tower, coming across the country, creating havoc. And this is called Meltwater Pulse 1A. Because all of that water, all of that fresh water, is then drug out into the oceans and the seas. So, actually, the sea level rose right at that particular time. And in a later impact, which was 11,600 years ago, it created havoc in the weather patterns because you're throwing all this cold water, all of this fresh water into the saltwater seas, the Gulf of Mexico, disturbing the North Atlantic Current. The North Atlantic Current is 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 fueled by the solar radiation. In other words, solar radiation that's impacting at the equator is accumulating heat under the salt water. The salt water is used to insulate that heat 
from being liberated into the atmosphere in the North Atlantic Current drags that warm water north, and then over t- over time, you're it's liberated into a temperate climate. So after the last ice age, what happened was the uh, this 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 impact this new fresh water into the oceans then produces what is called the Younger Dryas. The Younger Dryas is a period between 12,800 years ago and 11,600 years ago, approximately 1,300 years of where after the Ice Age, the temperature became warm and warm and temperate and better, and then it was plunged back temperatures for 1,300 years. People who were living in, in a... Uh, a climate similar to Florida or Hawaii or someplace like this is then plunged into another mini ice age. And that's what the Younger Dryas is. The Younger Dryas is a flower that flourishes during Arctic weather. And it's called the Younger Dryas because the older Dryas was, this flower was flourishing during the last glacial period and when it got warm, the flower disappeared. But when these impacts happen and the weather patterns change back to Arctic temperatures, the flower reemerged. That's why they call it the younger, the younger dryas as opposed to the older dryas, you know. It's the return glacial conditions and the reversal of the gradual warming of the climate after the last glacial maximum. So that's what the Younger Dryas is. It's the reemergence of this flower. And, you know, it has its, you know, uh, Dryas octopetella and, you know, uh, these type of names for this flower. And that's what the Younger Dryas is. It's an Arctic mini ice age that happened for 1,300 years. And people at this time had to deal with this freezing cold coming in in places where they were just getting used to the warmer climate. So when we look at places like uh, ancient Kemet or ancient Egypt, and we look at the pyramids and we look at the sinks, um, we can see at the time of when, we can see the time when these ancient megalithic structures, many of them were made. Now, the Egyptologists will tell you that the Great Pyramid, the Three Pyramids, Khufu, Khafra, Menken Ra, uh, the Great Sphinx, were recent during dynastic times in Egypt. But the Sphinx, there is water erosion, and the plateau there, the Giza Plateau, hasn't had any type of torrential rains in the last 10,000 years. But you have these vertical watermarks on the actual sinks. Um, It was and geologists looked at these things and say, well, this is water erosion. But the Egyptologists sticking in their um, you know, in their field of 
being the experts, anytime you're talking about anything dealing with Egypt, uh, said no, that was when erosion and uh, you know that that's just over time of the wind hitting the sinks and things like that, and uh, that's not the case, regardless of what the Egyptologists say. The sinks is uh, well, number one, you can't date rock; you have to have some some carbon, some organic matter to be able to date it with carbon dating. You can't date rock. So we don't know how old the sinx is, but we know it was made prior to what we're calling, again, the Younger Dryas because it is at the time of the Younger Dryas that that part of the Sahara of which the sphinx and the, the pyramid complex sits, time when it had torrential rains for hundreds and hundreds of years, and the Sahara was still green. So we know that it goes back past that because, number one, if you read the works of Swarla de Lubitz, um dealing with ancient Egypt, it talk, he talks about um, in the Temple of Man and things like that, that these things were arranged through astrology, but they were inherent in the system of the Netas or in the system of the gods, whereas on the equinox, the sun would rise perfectly over the head of the Sphinx, and it was in the time of Leo, the lion, because it always coincided what they were doing with uh, astronomy, the stars, the constellations and things like that, because they were always looking for the cataclysms that happened coming from the stars and man and woman's relationship to the stars, because that's where we came from. The earth is a seed planet. It's, it's indigenous population is what we see as an indigenous population is was brought here or came here. Some came as pilgrims. Some came as shipwreck survivors. Some came on purpose. But out of the 27 different humanoid types and out of the several times that humanity has been here, been bumped off or killed out, and new travelers come, to reemerge the human and humanoid stock on Earth, because it's you know you you find um, footprints in Mexico, and they date them at 29 million years old. There are giant footprints in South Africa, and they're 12 million years old. When we see that. The records say human beings, their present form, have only been here for uh, what well, the new the new um, uh, dates are close to three hundred thousand years old. But the twelve million and twenty nine is a long way from three hundred thousand years. The thing is, is that these climactic changes have happened 
over and over again, several times, meteors have destroyed the world population and also the animal population. 99% of all animals on Earth um, have been have have been been killed out or died out. Some are even going so far as saying that um, out of out of these meteors that are floating around out there, millions of them, that's what destroyed Mars and the civilization that was on Mars. Now, uh, along with, you know, fighting and nuclear weapons and things like that, if you're going to go into Zulu history, because all of the ancient writers talk about, and all of the oral traditions talk about, that we came from the stars in other places. Now, there are a few places that say specifically where they came from, and those are in Africa. The Dogon, the Bambara, the Zulu, the Akan. They all say that they come from the stars, but they plant their, you know, they they plant their spear in the ground saying that we came exactly from right here. It's even like the uh, the Ile Ife in Nigeria and the Yoruba. They have DNA that's not connected to any of the earlier genetic material found on the African continent because Ile Ife is only a mirror of the planet of Fay in the Sirius star system. They go so far in Africa to say where and what planets they come from in different star systems. So a code, an algorithm, a DNA. Riding on a comet, riding on a riding in a media or asteroid. You know, and none of this stuff is by accident. None of this stuff is by accident. For life to just, you know, just like um, scientists say, life randomly got together, you know, uh, proteins and, you know, enzymes got together and, you know, just coalesced together and eventually you got people sitting up talking on cell phones. No. To make one protein, not even no, not even protein. To make one enzyme, one cell, one one uh, one enzyme. If you had a inchworm, I think I may have said this last week. If you had an inchworm moving at an inch per year, an inch per year, ferrying one atom at a time from one side of the universe to the other side of the universe, back picking up another atom, ferrying that atom, moving a mile per year, that second atom to the other side of the universe, back picking up a third atom, moving to the other side of the universe and back picking up a fourth atom, (laughs) it would take longer to produce one enzyme than it would for that one inchworm 
moving an inch a year, ferrying every atom in the universe from one side of the universe to the other and coming back, that, that it would be longer to produce one enzyme just by randomness than it would for that inchworm to ferry every atom in the universe to one from one side to the other and coming back. So life don't just pop up. It was engineered through mathematics and the supercomputers below the Planck length where the magical wave supercomputers exist that generate all of the reality that we have. It's a simulation that we're in. It's like putting on the goggles, the HTC goggles, and playing, you know, playing Luke Skywalker or something like that. So life don't just randomly start up, let alone getting into, you know, proteins and things like that. Um, that's, that's, that's what you say is it's a dog from the impossible. Dog from the impossible. Hmm. So all of the ancient old traditions of the records say that we come from the stars. And the oldest science is that we come from the infraparticle realms, from the quantum realms, from the, and that's why I started with any sufficient technology is indistinguishable from magic because we're now starting to deal with the quantum realms and replicators and bringing things into existence from nothing into actuality. So when we're talking about the young, when we're, so when we're talking about the younger Dryas, that was the first, that was meltwater pulse one A. Now, meltwater pulse 1B is what kicked us out of the Younger Dryas period and moved us into a more temperate climate all the way down to today. Today is the most, it's the, it's the best climate that has been in the last 10,000 years. There's never been a climate like this, what we have now. People are talking about global warming and climate change and things like that, but these are cycles that the earth goes through naturally. You know, hydrocarbon, burning of hydrocarbons, burning of fossil fuels, is only, is, is, man's impact has been less than 1.7% since we've been driving cars and burning coal. It ain't even, it ain't hasn't changed at 1%, but the earth itself changes and goes through these cycles and nobody knows why it goes through the cycles, but everything that exists goes through cycles and the earth is no different. The sun goes through cycles. You have sun, uh, sunspots and mass coronal ejections. The earth has super volcanoes, electromagnetic storms and things like this in relation to, to the sun. So when we talk about, that exact time of 11,600 years ago that brought us out of the Younger Dryas, then we're talking about things like the sinks and we're talking about the pyramids because regardless of what people think about Egyptology and all that kind of stuff, the reason why they say they call it the Pyramid of Khufu, now they may have been doing some reconstruction on it 
um, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, excuse me, 4,000 years ago. There may have been some reconstruction during Khufu's time with some graffiti in in the pyramid itself that said Khufu. There's nobody ever been buried in it. There's no writing in it. They don't know when the thing was built. But since they had some graffiti in there that says Khufu, that says Khufu they said, okay, well, this must be Khufu's pyramid. No, it's not Khufu's pyramid. The pyramid was built in the time of the gods, the Netters. Manetho gave the chronology of those who ruled in ancient Kemet. And the pyramids go back thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They're pre-dynastic. It is the first pyramid. The pyramid of Zoser is a mastaba. It is a a mastaba pyramid created during the dynastic times by Imhotep. But the Great Pyramid, the Merkut, on the Giza Plateau was created thousands and thousands and thousands of years prior to that. The alignments are at 12,800. They're at 35,000 years ago when the three pyramids lined up with the three stars in Orion's belt. And it happened again earlier than that. And some say that it goes back past 100,000 years. Others say that it was the time of Jehudi or Thoth, between 50,000 years, 50,000 uh, BC and 32,000 BC, that it was created by by Thoth or Jehudi at that particular time. But we have things like um, Gobekli Tepe in Turkey. That is a megalithic structure that we know is dated past 10,600 years ago because it was intentionally buried for whatever reason after as a, uh, uh, as a monument to what the people had to do to survive when the temperatures plunged. And at that place, uh, Cappadocia, which was uh, the king there uh, the, the in, in Turkey, they had a series of labyrinth caves called Derinkuyu, which was an underground city that had 30, uh, 37 different rooms, each that could hold or quadrants, not quadrants, but uh, different layers that could hold 20,000 people at a time the underground city could hold almost three-quarters of a million people. They had uh, water sources. They had air pumps. And people lived in these underground cities to get away from the climate that was happening after these, after that first 12,800-year-ago impact that they used to survive in 11,600 years ago, and then they buried it a thousand years or so after so that people would know that, hey, these things are coming around again because in 
Gobekli Tepe, they have these megalithic structures, these pillars. They're made like T's, but the T's are, are representative of human beings because they have arms that wrap around them, eye, eyes and nose and all that kind of stuff. Um, and these pillars, they what is called Pillar 43, you have a rendition of this extraterrestrial impact. But cave systems were utilized all over the all over the world. The Kentucky cave systems. And as I said, as I said earlier, not to talk about that the earth is hollow in the middle, but you have cave systems that were carved out by human beings at these particular times that went for hundreds of miles. There's purported under the Great Pyramid tunnel systems that go out into the desert in bedrock for a hundred miles or so that people utilize to go into to survive um, mass coronal ejections, uh, radiation, climactic conditions that were inhospitable for people to live above the ground because when this impact happened, it was a worldwide changing event. It killed three it, it killed three quarters of the human population on Earth. It destroyed ninety percent of the megafauna on the North American continent. So when people are talking about who were the first Americans and all this kind of stuff and you know, the Moors was here, New York was, you know, wherever and Florida was something else and Detroit was something else. They didn't take they never take into account the younger Dryas and the people who were here, be it the Clovis culture, be it the Folsom culture, be it the mound builders. And I've been to several of the mound sites in the United States, Snake Mound up in Ohio and the, the big mound in uh, outside of St. Louis, down at the mounds in Georgia, in Michigan or Detroit, we had an uh, extravagant mound, series of mounds that were in the area. It's one now that's like four miles from my house. It's the side of the soccer field where they play soccer and sit on it and have picnic lunches, this ancient mound. There was Prairie Mound, where I used to live, where they had artifacts from the mound and things like that that suddenly disappeared. So the mound system in great cities that were around these large mounds, like the one in St. Louis, that had a larger footprint than the Great Pyramid in Egypt and the Pyramid of the Sun in Mexico in St. Louis. Then you had the cave systems in the Grand Canyon and all over the country where people went. When this stuff got tight and they had to get under Dodge, this is where they went, in places that were carved out. And you saw how people with rock spear points go carve outside of a mountain into the bedrock and 100 miles out into the into the doggone um into the doggone land with different compartments, apartments, hotels, homes, air shafts, wells, 
water systems, systems to take the waste out, food, growing food underwater. I mean, excuse me, not underwater, but under underground and things like this, storage facilities, transportation, all of these different things going on under the ground, carved out. Now they're gonna t- they're gonna tell you that they was carving these things with chipped rock. They carved in rock with chipped rock. How long would it take to do that? Timeline don't add up. They had some type of technology that was carving these things out underground. It's the same technology that they used to carve these megalithic structures. And both of us, you have stones that are a thousand tons that are setting up on top of stones, <laughs> setting a thousand ton stone on top of another thousand ton stone. How are you going to do that? With ropes and pulleys and a bunch of guys on the end of the ropes pulling them? No. There was a high technology that was destroyed out at these two impacts at 11,600 years ago. That is the impact Meltwater Pulse 1B is what many say destroyed Atlantis. It rose the sea levels 400 feet they lose the Indonesian archipelago. It covered the land bridge that was created by Hanuman, the monkey king, and the Ramayana between India and Sri Lanka. It deluged the Philippines. It covered every coastal city in the world because the sea levels rose 400 feet. Do you know how much water that takes to, let, to raise the sea level 400 feet? If they melted all the ice on Earth, including Antarctica, the glaciers up in, you know, uh, upper Canada and Greenland and all those different places, if they melted all the water in the world, it wouldn't raise the sea level but 200 feet. So we're talking about some massive disasters, the high technology, flying canoes, flying chariots, vimanas, the Falcon vehicles. All of this technology was deluged and destroyed. Plato said that his ancestor Solon, who spent 12 years in Egypt with the Kemetic priests, asked the Kemetic priests when was the disaster? And the Kemetic priest said, which disaster are you talking about? You Greeks are like children. You know nothing of the mysteries. They said the last one was 9,000 years ago. So when you add up when Solon was uh, uh, was in Egypt with 9,000 years, that's 11,000. 
Now, you know, I, the the dates are approximate stuff like that, but it was it wasn't ten thousand uh, uh, years ago, but eleven thousand years ago. So that's nine and two. That's eleven thousand years ago. Exactly eleven thousand years ago. That was the time of meltwater pulse one B. That Atlantis sunk. But we're not just talking about Atlantis because there's no record in Kemet of a place called Atlantis. There's no records anywhere of a place called Atlantis. But we're talking about many Atlantises because all of the ancient and old civilizations talk about the disaster that happened and the water that came that deluged the coastal cities around the world because you got that's where the technology is. That's where the stuff is happening. That's where the, the music is going on. The parties are happening. The clubs, all that's on the coastal cities. It ain't up in Ham, Hamstring, you know, uh, Alabama up in the hills, or the you know the the Okies or the Ozarks or wherever the folks is that live up in the hills with moonshine and all that kind of stuff. They ain't building no planes or or Tesla cars or anything like that in New York and St. Louis and Los Angeles and Detroit and Minneapolis, St. Paul and wherever else gets flooded out, them people up there might as well go back to the Stone Age. They they have some 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 squeezing, some corn liquor, but that's about it. As soon as the gas ran out, nobody nobody knew how to run no refineries or nothing like that. <laughs> so this is going. So this is. So when all of these coastal cities, because you know, the water came up 400 feet, so everything's drowned out, and then it came with a cataclysm before it, meaning that it wasn't just hit by the wave of water; it was hit with trees and mud and sludge and rocks and ice and all these different type of things happened. So the people retreated underground. That's where you get the whole caveman thing. <laughs> people, the caveman people. He was in caves all over the world, not just in Europe. He was in China, in Australia, all through Africa. Because it changed the whole world. Now, Africa didn't lose its megafauna in certain places. Central Africa, East Africa, wasn't as affected as many other parts of the world. That's why you still have the oldest oral tradition of records in places like the Congo, because that's where the real technology and information is in places like that. Because, as I said before, the North American continent, Central America, parts of South America lost the majority of its megafauna. Megafauna is any mammal over 100 pounds. And the things that were in the in North American continent were the saber-toothed tigers, the short-nosed bear, giant beavers, beavers big as elephants. They had four types of elephants on the North American continent. I can't remember all four the name, but there's the you know the woolly mammoth and the mastodon, and there was two others, the woolly rhinoceros, dire wolves, 
If you're looking at Game of Thrones and you see them big wolves that are uh, that they have as pets, that Jon Snow and them had as pets, them big wolves, you know, three times the size of a regular wolf, those were roaming North America. The American panther, the American leopard, the American horse, the giant camel. All these things were killed off in the matter of an afternoon. And those who didn't die in the afternoon died within two weeks. We see the evidence of this all over the United States. The scablands up in Washington when uh, Lake Missoula flooded over. All these different things were happening the same, relatively around the same time, and the big impacts were in one afternoon. Now, I've talked with my friend Graham Hancock. His book talks about this in his new book, Magicians of the Gods, because Fingerprints of the Gods that came out in the 90s, he was uh, so attacked by the establishment and archaeologists and geologists and historians and anthropologists and things like that about fingerprints of the gods that there was a transfer of information that created Mesopotamia and Shumeria and Akkadia and Egypt and all of the different civilizations that came after the younger Dryas. He was so attacked about the megalithic culture and the fingerprints of the gods that transferred that technology, agriculture and uh, history and astronomy and uh, all these different things to the present human beings that he was so attacked about it. He said he would revisit it in his new, new book, Magicians of the Gods. And it is thoroughly documented with 2,000 footnotes and things like that, so it would be no doubt in what he's talking about. And there's also geological evidence for these impacts. They're called impact proxies. The impact proxies are iridium, nanodiamonds, microspherials, what I call miniature buckyballs, Milk glass, similar to Trinitite, which when you drop a, in Nevada, when you drop the hydrogen bomb and it hits the sand and it turns the sand to glass because of the tremendous heat that these things were carrying when they came into the atmosphere moving at 70, 80, 90,000 miles an hour and hit an impact on the earth. You have a iridium mat layer over four continents and iridium is not present in terrestrial ground. In other words, the earth, iridium has an affinity to iron. And when the earth first cooled in its infancy, it drug all the iridium to the core, to the iron core of the earth. So iridium is not in the top layer of the soil. The top mantle of the soil of the earth is not in there. It only comes in with with uh, asteroids 
and comets and things like this. But it shows a mat layer over four continents of iridium. Iridium is, a, is an exotic metal. I mean, it's an exotic metal. It, it comes in, you know, on these asteroids and meteors and things like that. So at the same layer, you have these nano diamonds, microspherials, melt glass, iridium, platinum group metals, palladium and platinum, you know, all this stuff in a fine layer of the time of this impact or these impacts. So the the jury is, is pretty much in on that there was an impact and it was tremendous and it was in one it was in one flash in one day. And everything played out after that. So the civilizations that sprouted up four or five years ago with Mesopotamia and things like that talked about the you know, in in uh dealing with Gilgamesh, the epic of Gilgamesh, you know, in Impistum, which is the um Babylonian uh, flood story, the seeking of the the bush of immortality with Enkidu and uh, Gilgamesh, the oldest stories of Haru, Ansar, and Aset and Set, because the records that the Kemetic priests, when they were talking to Solon about this flood is recorded in the Edfu building text. It's recorded on the walls of Edfu Temple. Edfu Temple is a Ptolemaic temple. It's not that old, but it was built on top of older temples that were built on top of older temples that were built on top of older temples that preceded the end of Dryas, went back through the last ice age into antiquity and are uh, in Congress with Things like the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid in on the Giza Plateau, because they talked about the primeval mounds of which the temples were built, the temple systems were built, and these are records that are come from all the records that were rewritten and rewritten and rewritten, and they said we can't re- keep rewrite this stuff, so we gonna put it in stone so it stay there. So when they built Edfu Temple, which is the Falcon Temple, which is the Horus Temple, or the Temple of Haru, they built it and carved the metal nature or the hieroglyphics directly into the stones. Now, did the gods come from comets? Let us visit that. The gods were in Congress with human beings through the technology of the entheogenic, hallucinogenic, and psychedelic compounds in which they ingested the, the, the so-called higher beings or the neturu or the gods, you know. And we're just saying that for people to be able to understand what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a being with higher technology than was on the earth at the present time not gods as in gods because Africa has no gods. God is a re gods are, God and gods are recent constructs and the invention of religion. 
the natural powers and principles of nature that came out of nature because the hallucinogens came out of nature. And they get get the ability to be able to contact and to be able to bring the gods to earth through the communication device of the mushrooms that were growing, of the other power plants that were growing, growing. the Acacia nilotica and the Ruta or the Syrian rule. Paired with the Acacia nilotica, and then invoking the endogenous dimethyltryptamines from darkness by accumulating melanin and pinealine. Pinealine gives the is the not a, is not only the most powerful antioxidant; it gives the minute levels of DMT secreted by the pineal gland and the lungs and the liver to be able to be useful as a contact device of the extra-dimensional, hyper-dimensional levels of existence that are throughout the multiverse and the infraparticle realms. So my story from more than a decade ago is that you have hunter-gatherers, hunter-gatherers on the prairies of the, of the Sahara. You're in the Sahara, and you encounter the mushroom because you've lost your technology. The older people have left. The other more primitive people that were on the earth were flooded out. So just as in The Superman movie, when Superman had given up his power, Superman 2, when, when the three ruffians came in, General Zod and the rest of them with Christopher Reeves, and he had given up his superpowers, and he didn't know what to do. He didn't have no information because he had burnt up the fortress of solitude up in the snow. The snow, the cold, he had a fortress of solitude up there. How did he regain his superpower back? He had one... He had the one original crystal that he had that built the place, and the crystal told him how to become Superman again. So they're walking across the, the, the grasslands of the Sahara behind the cattle because as they're gathering, following the cattle herds, you get a chance to be able to steal a piece of meat, some substantial meat, because you're eating grubs and roaches and uh, you know, stuff like that, you know, busting squirrels in the head. But while you're following the herds, on the dung of the herd, or the, of the cows, on the dung of the camels and things like that, these mushrooms are growing. You eat the mushroom and you find out the different levels of the usage of the mushroom. But the most important is that it delivers a mystery that is more of a mystery today in the 21st century than it was 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, a million years ago. Because we think 
as a group that we're the, the highest level of technology, we're the highest level of knowledge that has been because we have writing and records that say that. But heck, if one of the media's come up toward media stream and hit the earth and throw up so much dust or hit the hit the water and the waves come in at a thousand miles an hour and grind New York, Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago to dust, those records are gone. So they didn't have the records anymore of uh, what was going on, what type of technology was there. But the record was recorded in the archives of the earth and the archives of the solar system. And how do you connect to the archives of the earth and archives of the solar system technology? In the early part of the last century, the Theosophical Society called it the uh, Akashic Records. Excuse me, the Akashic Records. It's actually the Akashic Records. In other words, the DMT records that are on a finer vibratory scale and frequencies that are embedded in the technology of the mushrooms. So it is in contact with that, um, with those record halls, with those informational structures. So when you ate the mushroom, it delivered information to you. It showed you the past. It showed you the possibilities and the impossibilities. And how to breach the impossible of impossibilities by going beyond the possible. Through the different universes, different solar systems. Knowledge unbelievable knowledge and technologies. Unbelievable traveling. Faster than light. Time travel. Teleportation. Recreation of the fundamental laws that built this universe are in that mushroom. And you can't get clowns to try it one time, even if that Google tells you that it's safe. Even if that Google tells you that you won't be addicted. Even if even that Google tells you that, you know, you ain't going to kid yourself with it. They won't try once. They'll listen to all, they'll, they'll listen to the, the, the lectures, they'll do the research, and too scared to try it once. I know, I have, I have friends who have been trying to try it for 20 years, for decade after decade. You ready yet? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't want to mess my mind up. Give me a break. Being <laughs> so damn scared. You want to you want to play like it's real, but you don't want the real thing. You want to be a priest, but you ain't hooked to no lineage. But a lineage you hooked to ain't hooked to nothing. Tell me nothing about the gods. I go to the refrigerator, grab a handful, lay down in the bed, and go with the gods. Come down in my room, sit down in the chair, have a conversation. Not a bow-down thing. Supposed to bow down to nothing. Supposed to say face everything. The only kneeling is kneeling to the higher power in yourself. 
So they're on the Sahara trying to sell a piece of meat between the hyenas and the wild dogs before the vultures come. Before the other scavengers come, you grab grab a piece of meat. So following them, you encounter the mushroom. You eat the mushroom. And it gives you a way back in to the technology. Tells you what reincarnation is for. Reincarnation is to get to a particular point as far as the genetic, the, the, the DNA is concerned, as far as the, the codes are concerned. You do that over and over and over until you get to a point to where you can re-engineer yourself into your own imagination. These people want to change Trump. You can't change Trump. The only thing you can do is change yourself. We can't revolutionize ourselves out of this. We've got to evolve out of this. Evolve to where all these things don't matter. Because you're not looking for food, clothing, and shelter anymore. Shoot, an ant got food, clothing, and shelter. A rope's got food, clothing, and shelter, even if you live in your doggone house. So how? Because... <laughs> You got uh, a light bulb, and you can turn it on in the kitchen. You better than a squirrel who just go to sleep and in the morning get up when the light comes. You say you're smarter because you made music, and that you're the only one that has records, and the only one that this, and the only one that that. Well, if you had a way to choose, that you could be in your most perfect environment all the time while flying that you could rest while you're flying, that your food is available just for the picking, would you choose that? Or having to go out in the woods and chop down trees and get you some nails and build your house and sand the floors and pour concrete and all that kind of stuff when your house could be surrounded you like a whale or a dolphin? What's smarter? What's more intelligent? to insert yourself in your environment where you don't need anything or where you need to to roll around into everything. No. The younger drives were the impact that preceded the technology, the new levels of technology that were gained from the hallucinogen, the psychedelics. All of that stuff that you see TVs, cars, trucks, airplanes, and all that kind of stuff. It's older technology that was, it's been before. This ain't the first time. It may have been different. You put your canoe on the water, they put the canoe on the air. It ain't the first time. It's been done over and over and over again. There are portals and doorways that they, when the stuff got crazy here, they stepped off into the doorway, off into another dimension, off into something else. When stuff calmed down, we come back and start building again. Some folks think that as far as UFOs are concerned, it ain't no UFOs. Of course there's UFOs. UFOs just mean unidentified flying object. But when we talk about craft, you know, and not to go down the whole Masonic uh, 
the whole Masonic thing. The craft is the building of the craft. How does God, without no tools, make the craft? The craft by engineering the, yourself into the craft. You are the craft. The spacecraft, the interdimensional craft. So, this is what the Younger Dryas is. The Younger Dryas was a plunge back into Arctic cold before the Earth started warming up again, started to recycling and leveling itself back into a temperate zone where the human population could, over time, build itself up. The megalithic structures that were left as a monument to the prior times before the Younger Dryas when you had access to dimensionality through the same roads that you have access to dimensionality now, but the people weren't as materialistic in how they related to everything that exists. You have people that Oh, spookism and that. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. There ain't no such thing as ghosts and all of this. You ain't never done nothing. You ain't never studied nothing. You ain't never been part of nothing. All you've been doing is sitting in your room on YouTube. Not even read no books no more. You just look at videos. Damn. And you go sit, sit and think like you, like you, like you know something about life. You ain't never been nowhere. People talk about I've been all over. I've been all over. I'm in the St. Louis. Me and the wife had a trip to Cancun. Don't you understand the places you go? It's still nothing but America. It's nothing but America. They fix them up for folks. Put that goat, drag some sand from someplace and make a beach. Put up a four-star hotel where you can sit up in there in your flip-flops and your bathrobe and order um, mimosas and, you know, uh, uh, eggs and eggs and filet mignon for breakfast and all that kind of stuff. You ain't never been nowhere. You ain't stopped in the jungle. You ain't been up in the mountains. You ain't went down in the earth. I'm talking about the real mysteries of life. And not in that, you can't even go in your own bedroom. You know, eat a. Uh, uh, your own bedroom and eat a handful of mushrooms and go outside of your bedroom. Go outside of the earth. Go outside of this system. Go outside of this construct that we're in. Manipulate the matrix. Access the spheres of knowledge outside the human consciousness. Become more. That's what it's about. The AI is going to push you to that because the AI is here. It's in the Internet. It's in the cloud. It's manipulating water and rain and the electromagnetic spectrum. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? We either start accessing the real knowledge and information and power that we're embedded in 
or we go, <laughs> we'll be we'll be trapped in a hole somewhere so dark it'll be like the witch king of Agmar when Galadriel and Sauron and Gandalf got together and he pulled out the the, the mortal blade. He said that he said that blade that blade can't be here. It can't be the Witch King Agmar's blade. Why not? He said that those tombs were so dark and so deep and the spells put on him to lock that shit up couldn't be broken. But Sauron broke those locks and let the Witch King Agmar and the Nine out of them doggone tombs. And it's the same thing here. They'll lock your ass up in one of them tombs in a puzzle that's impossible to get out. You'd be still in there trying to get out. Because I know because I got out of it. The length of time of that inchworm ferrying one atom to the other side of the earth coming back and picking up another atom, that's how long I was stuck in the darkness trying to figure a way out. So I'm saying it's time to start being serious. We ain't going to vote our way out of it. We ain't going to vote our way out of it. We ain't going to appeal to the humanity of white supremacy and foolishness and the artificial intelligence that is totally bent on the destruction of the organic. And not that the organic ain't artificial, because it is too. Because this is... A simulation. This, these realms are so big and so vast, and it's so deep and so powerful that you can't even you can't even um, you can't even imagine it. The only way you get in is close is through the psychedelics, entheogens, and hallucinogenics. That's the only way you can even conceive of the things that are out here. You think you got it down? It's meat and potatoes. It's my house, it's my job, it's my children, my spouse. And the world is solid. But it ain't. It ain't solid. Everything you think is solid ain't nothing. It's an illusion, Maya. And then they said, they told you that. So it's all illusion. Ain't nothing but a glass house. So, did you did you have any, did somebody say something? Am I still on? Because you know, I, my phone will cut off, and I'll be talking for <laughs> an hour. And because y'all ain't saying nothing, I don't even know if y'all still here. I've been talking for an hour, and and my phone will cut off. Oh, nah, 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 nah. Y'all still y'all still y'all still there? <laughs> we wide open. We ain't yeah. going nowhere. We rock okay. here. Uh, okay. One of the, so that's why no, the super civilizations that want North American continents and things like that. That's why those the the records of those civilizations they down in the, uh, 
there in Death Valley and in the Grand Canyon, and they're down in the deeper realms of those uh, caves in Kentucky and different places around the country where you got cave systems. They still have records. They're in those mounds, which get tore down and the records disappear. Just like the the, say the bones of the, of the giants. Smithsonian Institute tell you, we ain't got no giant bones. But go back into the 1920s, into the 1901s, and 1898, and go to the papers. You know, Frederick went out to, to make a barn, and when he put in the foundation, he found the bones of a human being with a femur that was 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 six feet six feet long. Well, of course, because see, science wanted to distance itself from religion in the late 19th century. They wanted to distance themselves from religion. They wanted to distance themselves from the Great Flood because the Noah Flood is just a rendition of the flood of Enumpistum, which is the, the Babylonian flood story. But you have flood stories all over the world but they wanted to distance themselves from the Noah story. And so anytime anybody says anything about flood, the scientists say, oh, you're a pseudo or you don't know what you're talking about or that's fantasy and things like that because they want to distance themselves from anything that was biblical. So if you say giants, science wants to distance itself from giants because of David and Goliath. So anything that has what is called a biblical connotation to it, they're going to these studs, these stories up before before the Bible, before all the little Bibles, the Tyndall Bible, the Range Dewey Bible, the Gutenberg Bible, the Geneva Bible, all those different Bibles that are floating around there, older than all of them. Tyndall got burned his burn at the stake for his Bible, and it preceded the King James Version. But then when you want to get into the exotic Christianity, the Gnostic works, the Nagamani Library, the Apocrypha, the Pseudepigrapha, all of those older works, the works of Origen, Cyprian, Tertullian, Augustine, the Holy City of God on Christian doctrine. Seminal Christian works and stuff like that These stories are older than those The Edgar Billing text Is right on the wall It's older than the Bible So the flood, the flood stories What they call flood myths Thousands of years before the Bible But to distance themselves Anytime you say flood Even if it's the flooding of the Mississippi If it's the flooding of the Yangtze River If it's the flooding of the Tigris and Euphrates Flooding of the Black Sea. You say flood, they associate it with Noah, and then they say, "Oh, that's a that's a mythology. That ain't real." These people don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They're talking about Darwin. 
origin of the species of Darwin don't even talk about human beings in the doggone uh, origin of the species. He's talking about finches on the Galapagos Islands. It's in the descent of man that he talks about a common ancestor. Regardless of what people say, you got 98, 99.7% the same DNA as a doggone chimpanzee. Nowhere in they, did they say that human beings came from chimpanzees or gorillas or orangutans. That whole thing about the, the uh, people coming from chimpanzees come from the Scopes Monkey Trial in Tennessee back in the 30s. Famous trial they had, and they brought chimpanzees out talking about, man, then evolved. Uh, evolved, he evolved, you know, from the chimpanzee. That's where that monkey stuff come from. It was a whole, it was a whole campaign. It was a publicity campaign to get money down in into this little town in Tennessee when they didn't have nothing else to do. So they went through that whole trial. It went all over the United States about people coming from monkeys. No, I talked to. Nana C.K. Ganyo, who was the head of the Ghanaian, uh, uh, the Ghanaian Council on Tradition in Africa. He went to all the different groups in Ghana and Togo and Benin and went to all the old people, the traditionals, traditional people and stuff like that. And I asked him, Mouth to ear, face to face. I said, where did they say we came from? He said, there are different people. He said, one come from, one people come from the gorilla. He said, one people come from the bat. The one that comes from gorilla, it ain't a gorilla like you see the gorilla today. It's a different type of gorilla. They say in Africa, 27 different type of people human beings, a Nigerian, Ethiopian, ain't the same people. Of course, we're all Africa in, in the general sense. We're all human beings in a general sense. But there are differences. The difference between a chimpanzee who had 98% of the same DNA that you got, gorilla got 97% of the same DNA you got, a mouse got 80% of the same DNA you got, it means that we all made out of the same stuff, atoms, Electrons, protons, neutrons, the stuff that you make stuff out of. I mean, we got all the same stuff and got a lot of the same coals to actualize in the physical sense. But the consciousness is what is most important. The house that you're a part of is most important. Not that we look the same as far as physiologically. Not that we look the same. Yes, we're human beings. There's different type of human beings. There's different family groups and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're all one race. In the physical DNA, but DNA is so complicated that when you're talking about even things like therianthropes or you're talking about Crimeans and things like that, you can have a father and mother have sex together, have a baby, and the baby not be genetically connected to the father or the mother. 
So there are different types of people on the earth that came at different times from different places and through different means. Some stepped out of the dimensional wormholes, got trapped. Some came in here in nut and bolt, metal, or whatever you want to call it, some type of element crafts and crashed. Some were teleported from other solar systems here. So all this stuff that people are going to tell you, oh, well, Baba Glimmy, that's fantasy. You don't know what you're talking about. I got the challenge one Saturday night. And I want to put it super hard on you, 30 grams. And I can show you. Just 30? Just 30. <laughs> you, you're tough, you're disciplined, you're, you're a uh, yoga practitioner, you're a kung fu master, you're a Taoist priest, you're a Buddhist, you're a Christian, whatever you are. Whatever floats your boat, do thirty do thirty grams one Saturday night. You do it at ten o'clock. By eight o'clock in the morning, you'll be uh, you'll be fine. You're ready to drive. You're able to cook the kids breakfast. You're able to go to work Monday morning. All of that <laughs> just one Saturday night. <laughs> Because 30 grand is going to connect. It ain't going to be no, well, I didn't quite feel nothing, or I saw some whirly gigs with some, you know, some geometric symbols and things like that. No, you're going to be, you're going to be in it. And ask anybody that's taking an ounce or 30 grand or something like that, you know, you, if, you take the, if you take the sufficient dose, you're going to be in. You're going to have access to the multiverse and the infraparticle, Realms and it ain't nothing I can and it ain't I can tell you. You gonna come out. You gonna come out. You gonna come out a Christian. Meaning you'll be a believer after that. (laughs) So after you know, after you know, after forty eight. Seven forty-seven years of what? Forty, let's see, forty-seven, forty-eight years of ingesting these compounds, mushrooms in particular. In that time period, I've owned seven houses, made fortunes, lost them, raised families, and I say family because I got three sets of children, some in their 40s, some in their 30s, and some in their 20s. Wow. I've been around the world. I've done and handled the things that I had to handle. You know, I've encountered uh, people all over the world. I've had strife, challenges, all of those different things. And I'm still here. I mean, uh, so it didn't make me crazy. No crazier than I was the first day I took it. Because <laughs> psychedelics, psychedelics, psychedelics won't make you crazy. 
if you're crazy, then you're going to be crazy. But if you ain't, it ain't going to make you crazy. So I say to I say to everybody listening, you know, don't take don't take my word for it. You know, don't take my word for it. Do your own research. Do your own experimentation. Get in for yourself, because that's the only way you can do it. You can't sit around listening to somebody else. Yes, I know the the history. I know I've read, you know, extensively. I used to go to New York in search of books. I used to go to uh, London in search of books, exotic, hard-to-find books. It ain't like now you can go online a PDF and get books that, you know, I'd have to ride the bus to New York for 12 hours, get off, ride the A-train between Far Rockaway and the Bronx all night, get up in the morning, wash up in the library, and then go searching for books in New York and bookstores and things like that. So how does the mushroom relate to the younger dryers? The mushroom gives you access to the information of what was going on prior to the younger dryers of that cataclysm. It will show you what was happening. You can ride back in time and see the cataclysm happening in real time. Is it a one-shot deal? Can you do it all the first time? If you're trying for specifics in time travel or uh, specific schools of knowledge, of places, uh, of libraries, of different planets in the world that exist for the understanding of what we're in as far as the mystery is concerned because it is a mystery. Life is a mystery. Who we are and what we are is a mystery because we don't know what we are. We don't know who we are. We know that we're here. And when you can open it up and, and see more, become more, feel more, communicate with more, it just gives you a wider view of reality. So I could go into the the, the planets of war where the uh, extra-dimensional weapons are forged and found Mm. where the, the the sound frequencies are created where the great libraries where the great teachers of the universe sit and dispense knowledge dispense knowledge and information to those who come to the classes. No different than college, a collage of different fields and spheres of knowledge you know, mathematical knowledge and the knowledge of places in different areas of sojourn that you can visit, all these different types of things. But when we're dealing with the earth and we're dealing with the three-dimensional five-sense realities of the earth, 
and we don't think that there's anything else. We're just we're just stuck. You know. Stuck in a in a in a, a an illusion. So what do you, what do y'all think? What do y'all everybody sitting around quiet? What's going on? Oh, we got we got two people with their hand raised and uh yeah, but I'm gonna let fire water. Go ahead, man. Colin, you came in late to work. What you thinking about right now from what you done heard so far? Oh, uh, I'm still thinking back. First of all, this was beyond fascinating. But I'm I'm still thinking back to is a comment that you made when we were talking about the cataclysm and how there were civilizations that could pull themselves into another dimension to avoid the cataclysm and then come back. I've also heard you say before about there being villages in Africa where it doesn't look like there's much there because the people don't actually live there, that they live in a village at the fractal level. So can you clarify for people, like because there's a difference between, like you said, taking the dose in the dark in your safety of your own bed and then actually shifting a whole a whole community into another dimension. Can you clarify that? Well, um, psilocybin, which is the constituent in the mushroom, uh, psilocybin is uh, 4-phosphoryloxy and then dimethyltryptamine. Um, what it does is when you eat it, um, it, be- it becomes uh, psilocin, which is 4-hydroxy and then dimethyltryptamine, through dephosphorylization, in other words, the uh, phosphorus molecule is knocked off in your stomach, and it becomes, uh, it's a form of DMT. Now, psilocybin, before Albert Hoffman uh, getting a specimen from Gordon Watson and naming it psilocybin, which means basically bald head, you know, uh, you know, bald head mushroom, bald head, uh, they call it telepathy, which is is that it in a group setting of similar dose and close proximity in a familiar area, it will set up a frequency of telepathy so that the trip is a group trip. It also has higher levels to that of people who are envisioning the same goal and distance, of course, doesn't matter with that. But it puts the people in a shared state of access so that they can then exist or sojourn in a higher dimensional construct while physically they're still in the village. Their consciousness is existing in a higher dimensional area. So while you go there and you see them and they got a hut, that hut is just an illusion. You know, they're living in celestial palaces and all that kind of stuff. But you think it's a hut. It's no different than um, in the shadow with Eric Baldwin, the Toku's palace. You know, they kidnapped him brought him to the palace of the Tofu, who was the, the head, uh, you know, monk there. And he said, 
what you talking about? He they said, Well, where's this guy? He said he's up in the palace. And he looked over there and said, That little hut, that ain't no palace. They said the cloud of nine sees nothing. And then the mist folded back and he was in this big cobra palace. Then he went in and you know, uh you know, the the head monk was there and he said, You know, you you know who you messing with? You know, he said, I'm the terror of this whole area. He said, you know, uh, you got some power, but you're abusing it. But I'm going to teach you how to use it. So uh, that's the kind of understanding that there is. It's no different than when uh, another scenario, when the cataclysm is hitting, you know, they saw the signs. Okay, well, we're going to get hit by a doggone comet here. You know, they went up in the atmosphere in their flying canoes and their flying chariots went up, let the thing happen, let the water recede. Then they land back in a place that is, you know, uh, someplace that's manageable and where you can stay, you know, they'll land back there and be jumpstart society, and then it'll take 5,000 years to get back where, you know, just like now, if there was getting ready to be an impact, and we knew that that impact was coming because we had technological capability to, if, if they put more money into being able to monitor the, you know, toward media stream, they could pretty much see when a comet was coming and be able to move that comet to where um, they can make it miss the earth. They could attach some rockets to the side of it. Because we only have to push it, push it less than a fraction of an inch because the thing is going, uh, you know, half a million miles, you know, it's like an arrow, you know, if you, uh, or, or a bullet or something. If you sight down, you know, uh, you know, 500 yards, and you shooting, and you off just a fraction to the right or the left, up or down, and you aiming at uh, a clay pigeon down there, and you off a fraction of a second. By the time they get down to the doggone clay pigeon, you're gonna be off, you know, five feet. You don't miss, you don't miss that by three feet. It's the same thing with a meteor. You attach a little rocket in space that nudges it over uh, three or four inches, and that's enough for it to miss the whole Earth over half a million miles. You know the concept. That ain't the true mathematics of it, but you get the concept of what I'm talking about. Or if this thing is going to hit, and you know it's going to hit, and nothing you can do about it, you know, they go down in them tunnels in Colorado where they got all the heirloom seeds and all the books and records and uh, computer stuff and food for uh, 10 years down there and closed them steel doors, it ain't going to be a direct impact. If the water come over, they got breathing apparatuses and all that kind of stuff laying down in the mountains where they, uh, you know, stored everything away. You got people who go down in their mountains, close them doors, and when the waves come over, it ain't going to affect them. They'll still be alive. They'll be able to, in, you know, six months or a year, come back and there may be water there, but they'll pull the doggone boots and stuff out 
and ride somewhere some land that they can survive on and start planting the heirloom seeds and jumpstart stuff going again. Or you have people that could go up in, hey, Elon Musk and them could get in that doggone rocket that land back on his footprint, but, you know, if it's in the water there, it's probably going to get tipped over. But the thing is, is that you got people who go up in the, st- in the space station and on the, uh, the, the uh, you know, the, the space station up there, and you put 10 men and 10 women up there, and it kill everybody on Earth. The waves come over, drown everybody. They can come back down on a spot that ain't got no water. That's still hospitable, enough to live and survive and start humanity back from them 10 men and 10 women. So that can be done now. So saying it was done then, that, you know, okay, they got in the spaceships, went up, and uh, came back down. It wasn't no uh, doggone die, tool and die shops and ways to remake the craft that they're dealing with. But over a period of time, you'll get a jump started again, and here we are today. So wow. these type of things, you know, uh, as far as the the, uh, the the living in other dimensions and things like that, yes, those things are not only possible, but they have been done in the past. Mm. Wow. Mm. Um, I got a uh, – we have – we got about – Four minutes before we go into the after party, please do not hang up the phone. If you hang up the phone, you will not be able to call back in after four minutes. We have two callers on the line so far. If anybody has a question and you're already on the line, please press one. If you're listening on the computer and you want to listen to the answers of the two people we already have online and a question that I have, please call in right now, 917-889-3803. 917-889-3803. All right. There's one if you have a, a question. Um, man, man can wait because I got, as soon as I said that, hands just started popping. So uh, first off, from the call, caller from the 330-475, the phone is wide open. So I get the manual call from please. Peace, peace. This is Eric. Tuning in from Columbus, peace, Ohio. Eric. Peace. Good, good. Oh, wait. I.O., yes, indeed. Here we are. Man, um, there was a lot that was said that that I'm going to be chewing on for a while and is going to nourish my spirit for certainly. But there was, you know, uh, you know, coach knows me. He knows I'm a bit of an amateur linguist. So I, I, I never for long. I've been paying attention to the words that we use in the, the English language and how they relate to our view of reality. And there was a, a bit in there where you were talking about spacecrafts. And uh, you, you related it. So what does the word craft mean? The word craft means to make or to mold something, right? So spacecrafts, why do we use this word craft in this word space? And I realized as I was hearing you talk, it's because you can use a spacecraft to make or mold your space in a certain way, even if you're moving your space to a different space that's you making and molding your space. And then I had to think, okay, well, what do we call someone who does magic? 
we said that they practice witchcraft. And I had to think, well, wh why do we use this same word, craft? And I realized that if it is your path to practice witchcraft, to practice magic, if you're, you're practicing any sort of craft, uh, and that includes martial arts, that includes business, that any sort of discipline, what you're really doing is making and molding yourself in the way that you so choose. And so I want to thank you for, for that little tidbit right there. And I just really wanted to add that into the conversation, and I'm done. Well, thank you. Thank you for your addition. It's, it's uh, wholly accepted. It is about dealing with, uh, dealing with the, the craft, the, 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 the craft of the self, building that. So, yeah, thanks a lot for your contribution. Absolutely. Yeah, and it All is right. just that. Oops. It's it's movement. It's mold. It's uh, the, the what I've really um, come to realize is that um, the 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 analogy of a spiritual path is not really an analogy. It is a path. This is why you have to be crafted. Why you have to practice a craft. So thank you for that. Thank you. All right, next caller from 202-274. Your microphone is wide open. Can I get your name and where you're calling from, please? Caller from the 202-274. Your microphone is wide open. Can I get your name and where you're calling from, please? Hello, going once, going twice. All right, we're going to move on to the next caller. Caller from the 330 481-330-481. Your mic is wide open. Can I get your name and where you're calling from, please? Hello, am I clear? Yeah, you're loud and clear. Yeah, I had a question. Uh, I'm from the uh, Akron, Ohio. I just had a uh, quick little question. And yeah. uh, he kind okay. of he, he touched on... Um, on like communication through the uh, pineal gland, and I kind of wanted to uh, hear a little more about that. Um, was it more of a uh, for the pineal gland? Was it more of a uh, um, the question I'm looking for is what type of spiritual enlightenment uh, inquires you to have your pineal gland open? Because I do look at the chakras and I go through the spinal cord and all that. So I was looking for a little bit more uh, enlightenment on, on that topic. You, you're saying that uh, you wanted to know about enlightenment through the pineal gland, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, uh, it's the neural hormone secreted by the pineal gland which gives the access to knowledge and information uh, of consciousness through the pineal gland uh, screening melanin and pinealine and harmaline and these, you know, the, the exotic beta carbolines and the, the, the melanin itself, you know, because two steps from melanin is DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which is the uh, most powerful uh, entheogen or psychedelic that, we have that's endogenous and exogenous 
the endogenous um, secretions of DMT are actualized by uh, the pinoline, which is a endogenous monoamine oxidase inhibitor. It is a way of, uh, uh, even though it's not going through the gut, it is a actualizer of the of the the DMT. You know, the DMT would be inactivated if it went through the stomach, but come directly from the pineal gland. Um, the pinoline helps it actualize at the very minute levels of which it is secreted. Uh, so pinoline is a is a uh, a key element in the utilization of the spiritual technology uh, endogenously created and uh, deposited and utilized through not only darkness, but the ability to have a darkness that is dark enough to secrete enough melanin that you can convert it to the DMT. So when people say that the pineal gland doesn't, uh, doesn't secrete DMT, DMT can be synthesized through uh, out of melanin, but it also can be synthesized directly in the pineal gland, but it's actualized through utilizing pinally. So it is the psychedelic chemicals that can be taken from an outside source or generated from an inside source if you have mm-hmm. the proper cascade from the uh, tryptophan and through serotonin into melatonin and into pinaline and then into DMT communing with the pinaline. You have a uh, spiritual chemistry, a psychedelic chemistry that will give you access to the, the magic or give you access to the craft, which we talked about earlier. For sure. And then my last question is, this is the last thing. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Continue, yeah, go ahead. Please. No, I was just saying that the and that the uh the pinoline is uh six methyloxy tetrahydrobeta carboline. That's what that one is in relationship to the dimethyltryptamine utilization. Mm. We'll have to get deeper into that too as well. My last question was only through the the same as the first question, which was um, with us being human beings and us having like a, uh, a, I guess, I wouldn't, I mean, however you say the diet would go, does eating, does, does the diet play a role? I mean, I know it plays a role, but like in what type of dynamic is your diet um, trying to kind of like blocking your, your, your gland? Well, you want to have—I mean, you want to have your, the diet, the best possible diet you can you can have. Um, we're in the midst of an assault uh, as far as our our eating is concerned, with the uh, chemicals that are put in to the diet to not only dumb down but to depress the utilization of these neurohormones. Um, things like um, vaccinations and uh, carcinogenic chemicals in the foods and uh, GMO foods. Now, GMO doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad for you. GMO is bad for you because they don't know what they're doing, or when they know what they're doing, it's in a depressive state. The uh, vaccinations could be the 
you know, uh, things like mercury in them, uh, foreign DNA, uh, stuff like that, on purpose giving young boys DNA from the aborted fetus lung tissue of females, which deposit X chromosomes from the aborted female fetuses lung tissue into males and taking aborted male fetus lung tissue and depositing those Y chromosome females at a very young age which cross-references as far as gender of taking the female DNA, putting in the males, and the male DNA, putting in the females. And that's on purpose. So you could look that up or extrapolate from it what those things would do and look at our society today. This is one of the um, uh, exogenous sources of uh, manipulation of gender. Now, there is a also a in vitro manipulation of gender. It is why one of the reasons why that once um, a woman gets pregnant, pregnant, they would not and no longer after a particular period have sex anymore because they can manipulate the hormones at a certain time because all human uh, embryos and fetuses start out as female, and certain hormones come in, which then the male comes off of that or is put on top of the female, and then they actualize the male, you know, uh, the male attributes. Penis is the extended clitoris, the male brain. Uh, junctions itself on top of the female brain, and you come out. That's like at the 49th day, 40, 47th, 49th day. That's when um, eyelids fully form, REM sleep starts, the webbing between the fingers sloughs off, the male penis starts to, uh, is, is extended, fingernails develop and things like that, and the male is... Um, bridged out of the female into the male. Now, does that mean that we all start out as women? No. Women is a woman is a construct placed later on the human female. You know, female is the natural gender. Woman is a construct of human being, just like male is the basic pattern of the best male basic pattern. And then you have man on top of that because manhood and womanhood is changeable. Now, at this juncture, male and female is changeable because of hormones, you know, uh, you know, things that they put in the chicken and make the chickens big, the female hormones they put in there. The cows, you know, chickens, they grow, you know, from an egg to a chicken in two weeks and 
all those different types of things, manipulating hormones, you know, in the human male and female. Yeah, so those type of things that are uh, are part of the dietary regime because it's what you take in. And then it is what you uh, take in your diet mentally, what you're looking at, what you're observing. If you're looking at Jerry Springer and, you know, the Mickey Mouse Club and, you know, what Beyonce and uh, whatever his name is doing and the rest of those, you know, if you're looking at a bunch of nonsense, that's diet too. You're listening to a bunch of nonsense, that's diet too. You know, all of those things are food. All those things are food. So you can eat the best in the world and look at stupid stuff and, you know, you got a bad diet. You know, you can listen to stupid stuff. That's a bad diet. Taking the wrong concepts, concepts that don't serve you. That's a bad diet. So eating well is good. You know, I'm, you know, I'm vegetarian um, and I've been all, I've been vegan, I've been fruitarian, I've been sproutarian, I've been uh, lacto-oval, I've been all different, all up, you know, because I've been Maybe. vegetarian, you know, 48, 48 years, you know. Mm. And I'm not saying that you have to be vegan. I'm not saying you have to be vegetarian, but get the best thing that you can. Try to get away from the, the chemicalization, you know, of the food. Try to get, uh, Dr. Savior would say, real food, but Dr. Savior would say everything. <laughs> Dr. Savior say, ain't nothing real. <laughs> you know, what's some gooseberry, gooseberries, elderberries, and something else. Everything else is a hybrid, but then the hybridization been going on for thousands of years, you know. How you think you got them done on yellow, yellow green peppers and red green peppers and purple green peppers <laughs> and purple potatoes and you know watermelons water without no seeds? That's just cuttings and things like that. But you want to try to get seedless seedless watermelons? Eat the seeds, you know. Eat the black seeds also in the rind and all that kind of stuff. That's Viagra too, good for the guys, you know. I heard so, and. You know, when, you know, uh, moderation in all things, you know. Oh, yes, so is not estrogen. There's estrogen-like compounds, which are a thousand times um, less powerful than estrogen, which you get from your plastic water bottles and uh, stuff that's in the food and things like that. So uh, tofu or soy, which is not genetically modified for stupidity, is a good thing for men in moderation because mm. it will displace the estrogen that you're getting from when you have, uh, you know, some church's chicken or Kentucky Pride or Bob and Sally's uh, chicken and biscuits or uh, Mama Jones chicken and waffles and all that kind of stuff. You're getting estrogen when you're doing that. So the thing is to uh, moderation, uh, try to know what you're doing, try to plan your diet, uh, supplementation is good, you know, if you can get good supplements or if you're making your own, you know. Uh, so, yeah, diet is is important and all that, but, you know, you can, you can, yes, you, you can make it without being an uh, actual uh, vegan or vegetarian, but you would want to try to do those things because of just the way that, uh, you know, the, the animal 
uh, slaughtering industry works, you know, because that's yeah, not, a, the emotions not, a good, yeah. not a good thing. Yeah. That, well, that's all I had to ask. Thank you very much. I very much appreciate it. Like I said, from Akron, Ohio. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you. Thank you, big brother. Appreciate you for calling in. Next caller is calling in from uh, 951-261. Your microphone is wide open. Can I get your name and where you're calling from, please? Hello? Caller from the 951. Hello? Hello? Four once. Hey, hey, can you hear me, Coach? I can. Hello? All right. I can hear you. Yeah. I'm going to mute for a second. Then I'll lose my spot. All right. Um, uh, once again, thanks and praise to the elder for his teaching and knowledge he's presenting. You ain't getting this nowhere else except on your show, Coach, and appreciate that for you presenting that to your listeners. Um, my question for the gentleman is, um, he spoke earlier about the 26 different forms of humanoids that are on this planet. Uh, ooh, yeah, ooh. 27. 27, okay, 27. Yeah. Um, has that number fluctuated? Um, do do the, the different forms of humanoids who are here have different relations? How do we find out about that, and how do we relate to those, I guess, that, that they, they are our ancestors. However, we would have no idea of our, our lineage unless we do what exactly? Should I go to 23 and me or whatever? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> they, just, they, just, they just collect the DNA so that, so that they no, know, know who that. you are. Because they know, know they know. They know who you are. You don't know who you are. So people that go in and give a swab or whatever, they trying to find out if they from Ghana or from Gambia or uh, from you know uh, London or wherever they're from. You know, they just collecting DNA to find out different house lineages, the falcon, the falcon uh, house or the uh, the lion house or the bat house or whatever, because you hook to different totems and things like that. You can find these things out by ingesting high dose. Uh, psychedelics and entheogens to find out what house you're a, power, a part of, you know. And the number does fluctuate according to when certain peoples uh, leave this, uh, leave the earth, leave this dimension, you know. It's no different than um, what is it? What was it? Well, people, you would come to places and islands would be deserted or different uh, towns that have left you know, you come and the town is gone. There's nobody there anymore. Or um, it's like uh, some of the indigenous people here, you know, um, you know, in the Pueblos and things like that, um, the uh, peyote Indians and things like that, or a certain group has left this dimension. They, you know, they we fed up. We, we head out. They've all left out. And then there are peoples who have died out on purpose and things like that who have left. So the number can fluctuate, but, um, you know, last I, last I heard, and this, this comes from the Insangoma or the 
high Sanusis in uh, southern Africa who are hooked to Mars, um, who talk about the cataclysm and things that happened on Mars and how they came, how they came here. Um, you know, sent the sent the females here, and for eighty thousand years they fought on Mars while the females were here practicing parthenogenesis. And then you'll have people who will say there's no such thing as parthenogenesis, but uh, I beg to differ. There is uh, there are documented cases of parthenogenesis in the Lancet. That's the British Journal of Medicine, and also uh, the highest level of parthenogenesis goes on uh, in Ghana, just as the greatest number of twins born is in Nigeria. So you have these different uh, groups, uh, primal uh, sovereign groups, who don't know they're primal or sovereign in the general sense, only the uh, different uh, secret societies or societies of the whole of the mystery or uh, the different uh, priests and priestesshoods in different places uh, would, would um, you know, have that information that you can get. It's like in uh, Latte in Ghana, you know, you have the um, the black medicine, which is the medicine that they brought from the serious star system when they came to Earth. The black medicine that you see that they put in the cuts, you know, which is the the scars that black medicine they put in the in the the cut on the cheeks and on the uh, hands and knees, back of the knees, top of the feet, in top of the head, between the eyes, at the the third eye place and all that kind of stuff. They don't do a lot of that no more. They used they they used to, but it's uh they they you know they're becoming Christians, so they stopped doing that. But the black medicine is still there. It's the same black medicine that was depicted in remember the time of Michael Jackson when Iman and Eddie Murphy were the uh you know the Pharaoh and the <laughs> the Pharaohine, the King and Queen, the Set and the Suit. And the suit bitty and the other when Michael Jackson when all the magicians came out and one guy was juggling and they all put your head and all that kind of stuff and Michael Jackson came out through the black powder on the ground and descended down into it popped back up started doing his Michael Jackson dance and stuff like that that's the black medicine depicted in that it's the medicine used in the cuts to connect the physical body into the other levels of uh the other bodies that are cross-dimensionally. In other words, in the multiverse, you have uh, planets that are exactly the same as this, except, you know, the day when you go out to work, uh, here you got on a red shirt, but there you got on a green shirt. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Okay. Well, thank you so, very much. Yeah. If if I may ask another question, um if I'm not mistaken, yeah. last episode you talked about the aspect of cloning. Is is am I correct yeah. on that? You spoke on that. Yeah. Um. With that being said, and you know, uh, tailoring on the the fact that we just talked about MJ, the likelihood of him having a clone out here would be relatively high, wouldn't it? Because of such a influential individual, he was just during this time period. He must have a, if we're talking about Rockefeller, 
we can talk about him and some other incarnation that we don't understand. Am I am I thinking correctly, or am I unless Phil? Well, I mean, I, I would uh, I would I would think that they'd have some of Michael Jackson's uh, genetic material for study. I don't know if they actually, you know, who <laughs> would make another Michael Jackson because. Um, as far as entertainment value, they um, have all of his particular shows, his uh, his personality down in the supercomputers and artificial in the AI, which they'll be using. You know, they started these little concerts, you know, with Tupac and Michael Jackson. I mean, I think they already had a Michael Jackson um, uh, uh, part of a concert where he was he was there in, you know. Uh, 3D as a, yeah, as, a uh, as a as a character, you know, um, you know, and just like they're doing movies now. When they did the last Star Wars movie, they had uh, Peter Cushing in there as a, you know, as a character, and Peter Cushing been there about twenty years. The same thing there. They're gonna have concerts with James Brown and Michael Jackson, and you know, Prince and all of them. You know, they'll have them in the virtual reality. Where you can sit in your room, you got the you got the virtual reality contacts on, and then ultimately it'll be beamed directly into your uh, retina. The concert where you'll be sitting at, you know, the 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 you know the stadium out in California or something like that. You know, the temperature will be controlled by the nanobots in your bloodstream, where you you know the wind's blowing and you hear people and you smelling the popcorn and all that kind of stuff. And Michael Jackson and James Brown and Prince are having a concert and you out in the, you know, you in the stands and stuff like that, but you in your doggone living room. So they'll be having all of that kind of stuff, you know, and you'll be streaming so many nano so many, uh, so many credits from your credit account in electronic currency into the account of the central artificial intelligence uh, currency account. Um, because you're dealing with that type of entertainment, you'll be able to go and visit the Louvre, the museums. You'll be able to go to the, you know, climb the Rocky Mountains and all that kind of stuff, and just in the virtual reality and augmented reality. If but, I may, yes, okay. I, they have, but yes, they have, but yes, they have, they have the genetic material of all of those um, different stars and people like that, you know, who they deem significant, you know, because they uh, want to have have the ability to be able to do that if they want to uh, at some particular time for whatever reason, you know. Okay. And, Coach, I don't know if – may I ask one more quick question, if that's possible? Hey, make it quick now. I got two more calls on the line. Okay. Three. Um, the movie – I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Cloud Atlas, and you kind of – Referred to the aspect of certain people have been rocking with you. They've been rocking with you for certain years. So would you say the individuals who are listening to the show, you've known us in a different capacity, and we're just rocking with you in a different format, and we're trying to get back or reconnect our, our relationships with you? Because not everybody's going to be on this call. The first time I heard... Well, I don't know if he was asking me or you, Big Baba, but the first time I oh, heard Baba Kalinda talk, oh, I'm, I, I just want to put my little, the first time I heard him talk, I knew we was from the same house. And for me, I recognize the coincidences because there's no coincidences. 
Like he can't. He already passed six, seven, eight things that I have never said to him that already is speaking all the way through my heart. You know what I'm saying? So like the stuff I don't have to. I, I could be thinking about it two days before he'll come up and say it. So when that sounds like I'm joking, I'm saying, oh, he must be psychic. That's that. That is the joke, you know, because the houses are getting drawn back together for those who are pushing the envelope. That's my that's my experience and my particular opinion. But but I yield to to the elder to whatever his words are. Oh well, I mean that's that's uh, no problem with what you said. It's a uh, you you roll with uh, folks and family and stuff like that. You know, folks come in and out, but they. Um, meet each other along the way for the time and uh, distance that they need to be in in contact for that particular time in which you're in. But, you know, when you leave this regular, you know, three-dimensional, five-sense reality uh, and move into a bigger space, we're all there anyway, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you want to go down there now? No, I'm a, I'm going to rest up here for a little while. You're, I'll go down there and, and, and pack the food with your fools, and I'll be right here minding my own business. I'll be down there in, you know, 15, 20 years, and I ain't staying long. I'm only going to stay about, you know, uh, 45, 50 years, and I get run over by a truck and come on back up here and lay down and rest again. Well, thank you for your answer, and thank you for your wisdom, and Good, 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 good. Reconnecting you, I know, and hopefully uh, it, it gets deeper, and, and I, I have a better understanding or awareness. Thank you again for your words. Oh yeah, eat your eat your mushrooms. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Have a good evening. All right, caller, caller from the three one seven nine eight six. Caller from the three one seven nine eight six. Your mic is wide open. Can I get your name and where you're calling from, please? I'm TJ from Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, I'd like to thank Coach uh, Kyrie. You know, uh, that's how I ended up getting here. I got a lot of knowledge in just a few days of watching you on Facebook, man. Appreciate you. And uh, my question, you know, uh, for either of you, uh, it was about the Dogon tribe. Uh, I wanted to know if the, their uh, spiritual system had anything to do with their ability to see this uh this star system, the Series B star system. You say okay, you saying their spiritual system uh, did it have anything to do with being able to see that? Yeah, was there a practice or uh then uh, something else you said about the uh the hallucinogens? Was it a combination of the two well, I'll say this: I've never been to Dogon country. I was going up in I was going up in the Mali, um, but for some reason they was acting a fool up there. We didn't go, but um, their um, their technology and the way that they have set up their villages and things like that just happened to use uh, Acacia Synagogue there. The masts of the Siki are made of the DMT wood. The granaries of which the 
the pole, the potolo, which is the, the seed star from which everything comes from, is DM is is DMT. The ladders that they make that they climb up on to climb up in the uh, uh, houses up in the up in the rocks um, made from DMT. DMT and African rue are every place in that area. That's what the Hogan of the Dogon uses to be able to go into the dark cave and look out through the top of the Dogon Mountain into space and tell you what's going on on Venus and tell you what's going on in the Sirius star system, you know, um, to tell you the orbits, to see the signs of when you set the times for the Siggy and all those different type of things. So, yes, it's an entheogenic or psychedelic culture, which African tribes are. They utilize the hallucinogens at the highest levels of their particular um, spiritual systems. It's not for the rank and file, folks. Just like the Catholic Church, you had the Pope, you had the Cardinals, you had the bishops. Now, the high bishops and the cardinals utilized the entheogens, and the Pope used the entheogens. But the regular priests and the people and the practitioners in the doggone, um, you know, uh, churches and cathedrals and stuff, they don't use that or know anything about it. You know, I've been to the Vatican. I know that I know they was using hallucinogens up in there, and all them, you know, lead. <laughs> You know, Michelangelo and all the folks was using them too because hey, you can't make that stuff without entheogens. They got tapestries uh, on the wall and the doggone tapestries on the wall. You walking down the wall, I mean, walking walking down the corridor, and the tapestries on the walls following you. <laughs> they they following you down the hall, <laughs> and they just you know pictures on the wall, stuff three dimensional jutting out outside their wall and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yes, the dogon is uh, uh, psychedelic, infogenic, um culture. But are they going to tell you that? Are they going to verify what I'm saying? Nope. But you get all the DMT and all the monoamine oxidase inhibitors to go with the DMT all set up in your village all over the place and everything made out of it. Um, it ain't no coincidence. And that's like Coach said, it ain't no coincidences. Yeah. See, we have a problem with we have a problem with um, the hallucinogens and psychedelics because it's just set up from uh, Richard Nixon and you know the the war on drugs and Ronald Reagan and uh, you know Nancy Reagan. You know, just say no. This is your brain. Mm-hmm. This is your brain on drugs. But the entheogenic psychedelic compounds are not. They're not. They're not drugs, and psilocybin is. It's 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 magic. It's pure magic, yeah. and those you know uh, other groups surrounding there the the bozo the bambara, you know um, the others, you know the uh, the other groups there. They also utilize the same thing, you know. Hundred uh, uh, Sheikh Amadou Bamba, you know, he tried, he tried to kill him four hundred times, <laughs> you know, 
Kwame Nkrumah defect, deflected a bomb with a white handkerchief gave to him by Nana Oparabia, uh, the Okonfuhini at the time, Nana Oparabia, and that white handkerchief. That white handkerchief is deep. That's why you think them preachers be holding them white handkerchiefs. They don't know why they're holding them, but in Africa, the, the white handkerchiefs, those are weapons. Then you see in the Dog Old Black Panther when the, the the folks, the cattle folks or whatever, when they pull them dog on blankets around and start using their shields and stuff like that, that's the same thing he did with mm-hmm. the white handkerchief. That ain't no, that mm-hmm. ain't, that's real in Africa. Hmm. The weaponized, the, the weaponized clothing. The, the the you know the the fabric armor you know because you because that, that's all that's all nano technology pencil technology woven in those cloths and things like that bark cloth raffia all of that all of that's technology those masquerades yeah. you know where you see the stilt walkers and the the uh, uh, the different snake Masquerades and uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? What's the name of it? Where where is the whirlwind? The whirlwind mm-hmm. masquerades. What these things spinning around? These were all these were all weapon systems and things like that. Ancient weapon systems. They went to battle with them. You know. Hmm. Yeah, that's a different perspective than I normally grasp on that, but it it makes sense though. You know, I'm feeling it. So they, the, the nano engineered nano, nano engineered blades and things like that had their own artificial intelligence in the, in the blades. It, 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 no different it, than the no different than the meteorite chrises, the the royal chrises of Indonesia, with Pinjat Salat, where they have the media, where they have the blades made from. Uh, from the meteors and things like that, where the blades were, when uh, danger gets near, they rattle in the sheath, and then they'll jump out the sheath into your hand like Yoda, you know, catching his lightsaber before he get ready to fight Palpatine. Same thing. Or the blade just fly out and start fighting by itself. All that kind of stuff. But you got to be, you got to go out in the bush and all that kind of stuff to see that stuff at night when they're training the young boys, you know, because in, in, the village I'm a part of, you know, you had a masquerade come down. It's, it's got all black, and it's got two razor-sharp machetes. And then when they encounter you, it don't let you come down the street unless you give it some money. And it won't let you come down the street and give it some money. I don't know what it'll do if you don't give them the money, because when they come to me, I give them some money. Because <laughs> they collect the money for the young boys. They collect the money for the young boys when they snatch them up. Because they still snatch them up, just like in Roots, Kutukete, wrap them up in a doggone bag, and take them out in the bush, and teach them all the manhood stuff and the secrets and all that kind of stuff according to their particular uh, age uh, age group and how much of the mystery is revealed to them, the whole thing of the mystery of, of uh, uh, you know, the relationship between men and women and all that kind of stuff. They already know about sex because they ghosts is there and, They'll go on oxes and everything else, you know. So folks, they know about sex, but the mystery of the relationship between man and woman, who we are, where we going, what is the mystery of life coming into the earth? Because, you know, we got this whole goddess movement going on that 
they figure that they up and over us, and they ain't. We don't come from women. We come through women. Don't mistake the person in the kitchen making biscuits with the stove to cook the biscuits. You put the biscuit in the stove, the stove cook it, then when the biscuit is ready, you take the biscuit out the stove, but that stove is not the person that's putting the doggone yeast and flour and water and butter and salt and mixing it up with the hands and making biscuits and putting it in the stove. You come through women, not from women. You are a consciousness that is pre-body, pre-physical. So you take on the physical and go through a woman and come out here. But don't think that the woman created you in the womb and you are a creation of the woman. So you say you're goddess and man ain't nothing. No, we roll together. You are the vehicle of which we come through to the earth, but we don't come from you. Mm. Everybody ain't a god and everybody ain't a goddess. Everybody ain't a king. We was kings in Africa. No, you was a farmer. So much you a king. Everybody can't be the king. If everybody a king, then the king don't mean nothing. The king don't mean nothing if everybody a king. The king is something special. Everybody can't be the king. Right. That's what the king is. Now, of course, we know there ain't no kings in Africa, but I'm, but I'm saying how we're trying to take it and put it now because we don't have the ancient knowledge. And these things are taught about, about the boys. The women are taken out and taught other things. They're taught, they're taught the relationship of man and woman and sex and the mystery of that whole thing. They're taught yeah. warriorship. The women are taught how to deal with, you know, cooking and things like that. That doesn't mean that uh, the boys aren't taught how to cook, but everybody needs to know how to cook. Everybody needs yeah. to know how to wash. Everybody knows how to be able to wash their behind. All of that, all of that stuff yeah. that people don't, that, that people today ain't getting. Yeah. Yeah, but that was that was uh yeah, that was uh thing. You shed a whole lot of light on what I was uh asking about for us their their abilities, you know, to uh see these far distances and things. Uh what you were saying about the wood and the structures over there and these uh the weaponry, you know, and the clothing and stuff. Yeah, that's that's heavy, man. <laughs> TJ, I got about three more callers. I got to try to get in. I'm, uh, we'll probably pick up on some of that. He's giving me some good ideas for the show for next week. But I definitely thank okay. you for uh, bringing that up right there. That that question was excellent. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you very and, much. And uh, we definitely definitely gonna catch him next week. But stay right. on though. Stay on though, because uh, you want to hear everybody else's question too. So I appreciate you. All right. Thanks. All right, thank you. Next, we got caller from the nine one seven five two eight. Caller from the nine one seven five two eight. Your microphone is wide open. Can I get your name and where you're calling from, please? What's up, y'all? Shiva, how you doing? 
Chief Vice Wow. What's happening? How you doing? Peace. Good, good. Um, I have a couple of questions based on my experiences. Um, for you, Brother Kavindi. Wanted to know what's your take on blind spots and perception due to the psyche versus due to DNA coding. Um, I've experienced that some people do not have the ability to see some of the changes that occur during um, mushroom journeys versus others. Um, And their perception, there's a difference between the perception being that they're unable to um, fathom some of the things that are actually occurring. And then there are some who I believe don't have permission to go into certain states due to their coding. What do you think about that? You 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 said the well you got to give me give me those one at a time. Which one do you want me to ask first? Uh re re uh restate which one do you want me to answer? What is your take on people's ability to see certain things when they are under the influence of the psilocybin? How does their psyche affect their ability to see some of the things that occur, and how does their DNA play a role in what they're able to see? Well, there's definitely a, a genetic component inside of entheogens. Some entheogens are encoded for uh, certain groups. Um, that's why, you know, I, I stated that uh, I don't know one of the conferences in Europe, something like that, that. Um, you know, uh, white folks um, going around the world trying to be, you know, South American shaman and uh, African ingangas and all these different type of things, and that they're not encoded for those particular substances. That they have substances that they utilize that are part of their genetic makeup that will give them a lot more mileage. In dealing with in dealing with the entheogenic world, so some some folks uh, can can cross over because daddy jumped a tent somewhere back in grandpa and, and grandma grandma grandpa days or something like that. But um, there's definitely a genetic component in uh, a lot of the compounds. Uh, some people uh, throw up uh, fight responses to particular things that they are experiencing. In other words, um, they, they, they fight hard not to see uh, the reality of what's going on. Um, and my estimation on dealing with those type of things that they don't want to see is to, to take more until where you breach a threshold of where you can't fight it, you know, because some folks fight it. They don't want to, they don't want to, to see it and then they uh, shy away from it. So, uh, but with, with, with practice and training and uh, being able to relax into the experience, they can to move through the blockages that may be thrown up inside of the psychedelic experience. But, yes, there's a genetic component. There's a uh, 
fear factor and all those different things that are part of it. But with diligence, you can get past you can get past a lot of those things. Okay, um, thank you. I also heard you suggest that um, individuals should take thirty grams in order to see some of the things in within the multiverse that you discuss. And um, am I able to continue? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So my thing is, what? How do you really feel about people who have never dosed before going straight into thirty grams um, versus even? I mean, in our circles, five grams is a lot in some other circles, but it's it's a smaller dose considering what I work with. Um, and I've seen um, certain practices leading up to dosing that assist people to get further along. But I'm curious of, like, throwing somebody in for the first time at 30 grams. Like, what's the possibilities well. there? <laughs> They're gonna have a long, rough night. No, the, I wasn't <laughs> saying for people as a first, as a first, uh, as a first time person dealing with entheogens to jump straight into thirty grams. No, I was talking about a challenge to um, uh, a segment of the popul, arrogant seg- segment of the population who are bent on telling people in the psychedelic world, the psychedelic realm that they are delusional, they're just dealing with hallucinations that, Mm. you know, uh, they're pseudo, that they're just taking drugs and, you know, what you're talking about is just plain bull or BS. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about, I was just making a challenge to some of those arrogant people and say, okay, well, if you really feel like that, you come on and take 30 grams. I sit with you. You know, mm-hmm. okay. that's what I was talking about. No, for the first time, we have protocols for um, dosing up and ingesting and things like that. Start with five dry grams with a sitter. Mm-hmm. And the sitter is not a guru. The sitter is not a high priest or priestess of the lineage going back to the beginning of time. No, all they're supposed to do is be in the other room and leave the person alone. If they, the person who's taking it, if they want to talk, they can be a comfort to that person and make sure they don't go outside walking around. Um, yeah. And then the second dose is seven dry grams with a sitter. The third dose is uh, nine grams with a sitter. And after the nine grams, if you feel confident in yourself to then start traveling alone, that's what you should do. Um, because uh, it's the traveling alone that the real work is done. That doesn't mean that you can't go on group trips or that you can't go in um, partner trips with your spouse or significant other or whatever. Um, but 579 is the protocol. And then you keep dosing up at two grams uh, increments or three gram increments, whichever way you want to do it, until you get access to until you get full access. That's the mm, You said your superhero use. dose is forty grams, right? No, I didn't say superhero dose was forty grams. You didn't I say said it that's tonight. the last 
You didn't say it tonight, but I'm asking you about your superhero dose. It is a superhero dose, you know, and 50 grams is the God dose. And okay. 75 grams <laughs> is the the universal master dose. I'm just I'm just putting some you know some jargon to it, you know. Okay. It's 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 a act it's access dose, uh, where you where you're getting in, you know, because I'm not stopping at any one particular place until, until I physically can't eat that much, and then okay. you have to I'll have to find different uh, methods of ingestion, you know, because it can get to a point to where you you know physically just you know you 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 can't eat so much, but if you take up a quarter pounder with tea, with cheese. Or a Big Mac, or if you think of a nice big pot of rice with, uh, or quinoa with, you know, some, you know, vegetables, sautéed vegetables and stuff like that, and you're eating a quarter of a pound. So, uh, you know, if you're talking about a quarter of a pound of mushrooms, you can eat a quarter pound of mushrooms. It won't do nothing to you physically. It will be challenging on other levels, but, mm-hmm. you know, you have to look at the bulk of it, but no, 40 grams is what I, you know, uh, my my dose that I'm working with now. The last dose I had wasn't 40 though; it was like 21 grams. But um, uh, by the end of the year, I'll do a 50 gram dose sometime this year. I don't know exactly when, but you know, that's just me. Most people will never go past 3.5 and or, or microdose. Right. Microdosing is fine for thinking outside of the box, for novel thought, things like that. But most people who are taking the microdoses now aren't taking the microdoses for that reason. They're taking microdoses because they're scared to take a full symbiogenic dose and utilizing microdosing as a cover. And I'm not talking about the people who use microdosing as a strategy for a higher level of thought. I'm talking about the people who are faking the funk, trying to get away from taking a real entheogenic dose and diving into the multiverse and encountering all the things that are out there. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling. Appreciate your call. All right. Peace. Peace, peace. Thank you, thank you, thank you. we got a couple more hands. Some of y'all, we having a... Uh, Baba Kalinde goes in for the evening, and we have a, a, a private after-after party where we, like, kind of sum up what's going on. So some of y'all are getting texts right now to invite to the private after-after party. But uh, Baba probably used to do that when he was a lot younger, but he already gave us all of his time for this evening. Uh, I'm going to take one more call, but um, first, last week I want to thank everybody who sent any form of donation from $1 to $1,000 to $1 million. Uh, and I'm going to ask the same thing tonight uh, because, well, several reasons, but just out of appreciation, um, the PayPal for Baba Kalende is Kalende at Hotmail, K-I-L-I-N-D-I at Hotmail.com. He don't ask me to do that. He probably don't know I was going to do it last week or I was going to say it again, but this is my show and I want us to pay some respect. Um, if you feel that you got some value from it, then please help the brother. He's getting ready to start traveling around the world. If you watching his YouTube video, come on the project is not free. I'm going to uh, South Africa is not free. So put a little something, and 
um, help our brick brother continue on the things that um, that he's doing to help bring information back to us. I want to also, I know he's uh, a couple shows ago, he talked about he going to Egypt to pull off something massive that a lot of us ain't even never even thought about, much less tried. So we got birthday coming up. If y'all want to put it up on the birthday blessings or whatever, or just um, just off the love off your heart, it's Kalindi at hotmail.com. Please drop something in the brother's PayPal. Now, I'm going to go ahead and have to just juggle. I'm going to take one more call tonight because uh, Chris and Lighten, you get a call every week. So 917, I'm coming to you. And uh, 330, I might not get to you. But 917-972, your microphone is wide open. Can I get your name and where you're calling from, please? Uh, good evening. My name is Alex from Brooklyn, New York. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hi. Um, I was, you know, you were saying there's no such thing as coincidences, and I was thinking about, you know, you show people how to grow mushrooms, and the preferred matrix that it grows in is from brown rice, and brown rice and other whole grains have historically been preferred human, preferred food of human beings, sacred food of human beings. Do you think there's any significance to that, that now we can grow the mushroom at home on what some have called the perfect food for humanity or some kind of godlike food? What do you think about that? Well, uh, uh, the, the mushroom downloaded the matrix for people to be able to get in and experience it by uh, giving psilocybin uh, fanaticus uh, formula to grow mushrooms in the confines of your own home without being a mycologist. Um, so he opened that up, and the Internet opened up just at the same time that he was delivering the, the formula to, you know, people around the world, which started the psilocybin mushroom growing explosion. So, um, yes, the, the, you know, one of the uh, sacred grains, uh, which were brought here to the earth, you know, such like millet and the fonio and uh, corn and wheat and barley and the other sacred grains. So, yes, it's, uh, it's part of the whole downloading of the matrix of how to formulate uh, the entheogen of, of choice for uh, many people on earth. So, yes, I, I agree that that's, uh, that's all part of it and not a coincidence. Mm. Because mushrooms, even in the, the psilocybin mushrooms uh, that are wood lovers, are moving mm. with the, the human beings disturbing natural habitats and creating uh sod grasses and also wood chips and things like that. You know, I think in Washington and in uh what is that? Uh where Paul Stemmer stays in in Washington Orta. State. Right. Uh, the largest the the largest uh psilocybin as a as a patch around is in the wood chips that grow around the courthouse and the police station. So Mm-hmm. They uh they move with human beings and human habitats 
so that they would be available um, because it's a technology and the technology for access into uh, extra dimensional realms uh, should be accessible to the beings who have the ability to be able to utilize it. So thank you for your question. Thank you and very much. Coach, you can get that you can get that last uh you can get that last call from the three one 